Go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 40. If you didn't open with Hunter, we're going to spend tonight walking through Genesis chapter 40. I'll probably be sipping my water some tonight. hope that doesn't bother you. Uh, you might have noticed when I was reading Proverbs 28, I'm a little squeaky tonight with allergy stuff. Uh, I fully expect I will get to some point that I'm excited about tonight, and my voice is going to come out in a nice, loud squeak. <laughs> so you have permission to laugh at me when that happens. Um, just try to hear the point behind it. I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. My voice ain't going to do what I expect it to do. So we'll do our best tonight. Uh, two things I was supposed to get to Michael Williams and didn't. And if he announced them because he heard it from somebody else and I was talking, I apologize. But let me tell you these, these two things I was told to make sure we got in the announcements uh, that I didn't hear anyway. Uh, number one, Jerry Hand. Uh, did you say anything about Jerry Hand? Jerry Hand went to the emergency room yesterday. Uh, he's back home, but he's got a compression fracture in his back, and so he's in a lot of pain today. Uh, they've asked our prayers for Jerry. He, it's sure been a hard weekend for them, so let's pray for Jerry. Uh, number two, uh, Mike McBride has graciously offered to drive tomorrow to the visitation for Richard Marvin's funeral in Franklin. We know not everybody can get away in the middle of the day on a Monday, but if you want to go, please let him know tonight. Uh, he's got to make plans for what time leaving and what they're going to take and all that sort of thing. So if you would like to go and can go, uh, please let Mike McBride know that. We've been studying our Sunday nights about the rise of Joseph. Joseph, one of the more amazing lives we're told about in Scripture, gives us a chance to do some Bible reading together, gives us a chance to study these as adults. Sometimes we, we leave these wonderful lives God has told us about with our kids and we forget that these these lives are meant for us that are older just as much as they're meant for our kids. We've seen two chapters so far, and it's been pretty bad news so far, hasn't it? Uh, Joseph has he's grown up. He's 17 years old. His brothers hate him because he's the favorite child, and he told them about these dreams that sure sounded like he was going to be the ruler over them. So they sell him into slavery, and they thought that would be better than killing him. Not much better, but that's what they did. He finds himself in Potiphar's household last week in Genesis chapter 39, and he's doing well. God is with him, the Bible says over and over. Potiphar's wife asks him to come sleep with her. He doesn't. She finds a, a time when it's there alone, grabs his cloak. He runs. She blames him, says he tried to rape her, which of course he did not. But she's the wife of the master of the household, so she is believed and he's not. At least we don't think he was believed. But he was put in prison. I told you last week, I think there may have been part of Potiphar that thought, maybe there's something to what Joseph's saying. Because he didn't have Joseph killed. I would expect if, if you were in Potiphar's position, captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard, and you found someone tried to rape your wife and you had authority to have them killed, you probably would have done that. He didn't do that. Uh, maybe there was part of him that believed Joseph or liked Joseph or both. But he puts him in prison. This is the book we're using for resource, by the way. But tonight we're going to see Joseph forgotten in prison. One more week of bad news, and then we're going to see it turn around in Joseph's life. But this is where we left off last week, the end of chapter 39. It says, we see it again. Joseph's in terrible circumstances in prison, but people saw in him that God was with him. And he's able to rise above his circumstances. Not only is he rising up through Egypt eventually, he's rising above circumstances. It says the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail. That's a strange situation, isn't it? Joseph is one of the prisoners in the jail. 
But he's been put in charge of all the other prisoners in the jail. They trust Joseph. So that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. God has not forgotten Joseph in prison. In fact, he's still with him. That doesn't sound right to us. We think if God's with him, then great things should be happening. Uh, Don't miss those little blessings that God walks with us even through difficult times. Joseph was able to see those. So tonight let's walk through chapter 40 together. I've got it divided into several sections. First of all, what happens in verses 1 through 4, two of Pharaoh's servants are put in Joseph's charge. Let's read through it. It says, Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. You may know the cupbearer's job was to to make sure the king's food and drink was right and safe. There would often be a very close relationship built between the king and the cupbearer. They're together a lot, as close a friendship as I guess you could have with a king or a pharaoh. They're together a lot, but, but he's there putting his life on the line sometimes to make sure your food and drink is safe. If you remember Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer to the king and, and had a close enough relationship with him to ask if he could go back to Jerusalem for a while. The king let him do that. And so the cupbearer who's in charge of the food and the baker who makes the food, I wish I knew what happened. Uh, I would, you would think it's something with the food. Did Pharaoh get sick one time, perhaps? We don't know. Did Pharaoh have a get-together with people and it just turned into a disaster? The food wasn't made right and it was late and people were, I don't know what happened. But um, they offended their Lord in some way. And so what do do you do if you're the king of Egypt and you don't like something that the cupbearer and the baker do? Well, you throw them in prison. We'll see here in just a second. It says he was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, furious with them. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Let me put out a couple things there. You notice the captain of the bodyguard put them in Joseph's care. That's the same term used for Potiphar. We assume it's not Potiphar because you would expect it just to have said Potiphar. But if it was Potiphar, wouldn't that be interesting that Potiphar, uh, who is still over this, this bodyguard in some way maybe had a role in the prison, he put them under Joseph. That would have been interesting. I don't know. Maybe there's different people with that same title since he's not called Potiphar. But you have another, perhaps, captain of the bodyguard who says, you guys need to be here under Joseph's care. And so they're in confinement. What's Joseph doing? He's taking care of them. So then you have verses 5 through 8 where Joseph offers them kindness. Don't miss that. Sometimes when life has not gone our way, kindness gets more and more difficult. You've probably heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. Um, somebody recently has been watching on uh, Netflix, they were telling me about it, the, uh, the story, backstory of the Unabomber, if you remember his life and the, the search for him and, and, and the terrible things that, that he was doing and finding out all about him. Um, and were telling me just what they learned through this miniseries 
was just all the ways he had been really badly hurt by people. Just wrong stuff. Sure doesn't make it right what he did, but it just, that, that little truism came into my mind. Hurt people hurt people. The more things have not gone our way in life, and, and we better get ready for that because that's what uh, is going to happen somewhere along the way. Something's not going to be what you want it to be. Probably multiple somethings. If we're not careful, some bitterness sets in, and we're not able to show the kindness we should show. Joseph, somehow, is not bitter at life. I think I would have been. He's probably in his late 20s at this point. Remember, he was 17 when his life was yanked out from underneath him. But notice the kindness he shows to these guys here in the prison that he himself is a prisoner in. It says, The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream, each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. If I were Joseph, I would have thought, hey, join the club, guys. Join the club. Um, it's, it's a hard life. Toughen up. Quit, quit pouting. That's uh, not what he does. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? That is a question of caring about people, isn't it? That's a question of kindness. Uh, when you have those people in life who simply ask how you're doing and, and you can tell they care, that's a question of kindness. When you have somebody who asks, hey, what's, what's going on? I feel like you've had, a, you've had a tough time here lately. How you doing? That's a question of kindness. Uh, Joseph doesn't just give them their food for the day or whatever he does and walk on. Joseph asks a question of kindness. He really cares about them enough to ask. And they said to him, We've had a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. That's an interesting verse to me. For Joseph to hear about someone else's dreams, he didn't say, Hey, listen, I had dreams when I was a teenager, and whatever you think they mean, they don't mean anything. You need to put that out of your mind. You need to move on in life. That's that, probably what I would have been tempted to say. It's also interesting to me that Joseph, he care, first of all, he cares about him enough to, to go further with it. Joseph believes he can interpret the dreams. That's the first time we've seen this in Joseph's life. What leads Joseph to think he can interpret the dreams? Sounds like there's a story behind that that we're not told about in Scripture that maybe somewhere along the way God had, had shown Joseph that he would have the ability to do that. Several of God's people in Scripture had the ability to do that. Daniel, years later, would have the ability to tell dreams. Um, I, I feel like I'm a Christian. I feel like I've, I've got a right relationship with God as best I can. But if someone told me they had a dream, my response wouldn't be this. It wouldn't be, well, tell you what. Interpretations belong to God, so tell me the dream and I'll do my best to tell you the interpretation. I wouldn't do that. I, I don't have any reason to believe that I would have special insight into dreams. Joseph, for some reason, believed he did. Uh, sounds like a story behind the story. But he offers, hey, interpretations belong to God, let me help out. If Joseph does have the ability to interpret dreams... And if he's been given the ability to interpret the dreams he had as a teenager, makes me wonder if Joseph is still holding on to that hope that God shared with him years and years ago 
that he would have a place of importance, that he would have a place that, that was worthy of, of people even bowing down to him. Uh, I wish I knew more about Joseph's mindset here. Maybe that's what's kept him going all this time. The promises of God, surely those things aren't going to fall through. I don't know. I don't know, but Joseph amazes me in that he's still going, and here he shows kindness to them. So let's go through their dreams then. There's the cupbearer's dream, the third of five parts that I've got this chapter divided into, verses 9 through 15. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, just like it had always been for so many years. So I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So that was his dream. Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. God giving him this interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. He would be the cupbearer again. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. And then listen to this. Only keep me in mind, Joseph says. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews... And even here, I've done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. I don't know if the cupbearer believed him that he hadn't done anything. We know both those statements are true. He had been kidnapped. He had been put there unjustly. And and that was the truth. He says, when you get out, please remember me. I don't know if he thought what was going to happen would happen. Please tell Pharaoh and let me have a place of honor. He doesn't say that. But please help me get out of here. I just want to get out of here. Uh, Maybe thinking in his mind, maybe go back home. Maybe see if dad's still alive. See the family. Try to make things right there. Uh, Just help me get out. Then you have the baker's dream. And this is one I would have been tempted if I were Joseph to maybe pull my punches a little bit and and maybe not even tell the truth would have been a temptation. The baker's dream's not a good one. The interpretation's not a good one. But Joseph still tells him the truth. And when the truth of everything comes to pass, that's when, years later, this cupbearer will finally remember, hey, there was this guy, and what he said about our dreams was exactly right. But it says, when the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream. And behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. He tells him the truth. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. I don't know the tone of the conversation. I don't know what else he said, but the Bible just gives us that summary. It wasn't good news for the baker, but Joseph told him the truth. And then you have these last few verses of the chapter, forgotten again. Haven't heard anything from Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Haven't heard anything from his dad, his brothers. Once again, someone's just going to throw Joseph aside and forget about him. He would come back. We'll see that next week. But here in the last few verses, it says, It came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, 
that he made a feast for all his servants. That's how he chose to celebrate his birthday. Let's bring my servants together. Let's have a feast. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. Sounds like he made a big deal out of it. Brought them in, perhaps, before everybody and said, Guys, y'all know what happened. Talking to all his servants, perhaps. You know what happened. You know how mad I got at these guys. Um, here's what I'm going to do about it. He says he restored the chief cupbearer to his office. He put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, perhaps right there at the, the party, the birthday get-together. He was able to be a cupbearer again, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. In the last verse, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And we'll find out next week that was two years, two long years of Joseph who thought maybe this was a chance for something to happen, and it's still not happening. What do we learn from Genesis chapter 40? I've got four things here that we'll move through. I and mean, this is how we're doing this every week, going through the chapter, seeing what we learn. Number one, to be able to think of others even in difficulty. That's a struggle. I've already mentioned that, that hurt people hurt people. Sometimes we, we don't listen to other people's problems very well because we're tempted to say, hey, you don't know problems. Or I've got my own problems. I don't want to listen to yours. Let's never get that calloused. Let's never get to where we're so inwardly focused that we forget there's other people walking the same path of life that we're trying to walk. Joseph was able to show kindness in spite of all the stuff he's been through. Uh, to think of other people. And you know what? Sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. When we're in those times of life where we're just frustrated and things are not right, sometimes the best thing for us to do is to find a way to think of other people. Jesus did that. In, in Matthew chapter 14, he hears that John the Baptist, his cousin, had been killed. His apostles had just come back from going around preaching. They're the ones that told him about it. Jesus said to him, let's just get away from everybody. Let's just get away for a little bit. But Jesus couldn't get away. He was too popular. The crowds came. There were thousands of people. You know what Jesus did? He didn't say, look, guys, it's been a tough day. I just need y'all to, if you can just go home, come back tomorrow. He didn't do that. He fed them. We know it is the feeding of the 5,000. He preached to them. He fed them. He saw the people. He cared about them. Even though he was hurting, he found a way to get outside himself and help somebody else. How about Paul, who did the same thing? Paul seems to find himself in prison more than out of prison. We, we're amazed at Paul's letters, how he can write to the Philippians a letter about rejoicing, a letter about encouraging them to live the Christian life in a, a joyful way. Paul's able to get outside his struggles and try to help somebody else. Maybe you've heard a kid uh, growing up, a child at some point, who did something to help somebody. And they came to you and said, you know, it felt good. It felt good to help them. It feels good. It lifts us up when we can get outside of ourselves and try to look at other people and try to help them as well. Let's never get so focused on our own stuff. That's an unhealthy spiritual, emotional place to be. Let's not get so focused on our own issues that we can't look outside ourselves. Sometimes that's the exact thing we need. Joseph was able to do that. Number two, let's show kindness to whoever God puts in our path. Whoever it is, I've already told you, I'm amazed at Joseph's ability to be kind here and to still have a spirit of godliness about him after all that's happened. 
I think one of the reasons God made us social people, uh, I think in part, maybe several things, but God Himself is social, Father, Son, Spirit. There's an inward love to the Godhead, and that's reflected down into us that we're social as well. I think in God's ideal world, we would all be encouraging each other. And whoever we meet, there's a smile on our faces or in some way to try to help lift each other up. I think that's the point of, of the social nature that God has given us. That would be an ideal world. We fall short of that in so many different ways, all of us. But if we can find the ability to show kindness to everybody God brings into our path, boy, what a, what a blessing that would be, not only to us, but to them. I think about Hebrews chapter 13 where he says, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, kindness to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. I think what he's talking about there is Abraham in Genesis chapters 18 and 19 when the, when the angels of God are passing by Abraham and they're just going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah and bring the judgment God had brought to them. But Abraham sees the people walking, and he, and he just thinks they're people, he doesn't know they're angels, says, come in and let me take care of you, let me serve you a meal. Abraham was able to talk with God through that whole experience and by the end of it. If he hadn't been ready to extend kindness to whoever God brought in his life, that would have been a blessing missed for Abraham. And I think that's what the Hebrew writer is referring to here. Some people didn't even know angels were there, aren't wasn't Abraham glad he showed kindness? I don't think that means God is, is having angels walk around trying to test you if you're going to be nice to people. I don't think that's what it means. What it means is there may be a blessing that you might miss if you don't show kindness, if you don't show hospitality to the people that God brings into your life. I've always loved what God told Abram, Genesis chapter 12. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I love that. Always have. Um, I want to be a blessing. And maybe I want them to be a blessing to me. I need to show kindness to, to whoever I run into in life, whether it's a brief interaction, whether it's something more serious. Let's never let the callousness, coldness, hurriedness of life keep us from being kind the way Jesus Christ would want us to. Number three, people will, notice that word, people will disappoint us, but God will not. You say, well, I've felt disappointed with God a few times. Well, you may be disappointed with life a few times. Um, you may have wished God would have stepped in when he didn't a few times. We've all felt that way, I imagine. But like Joseph, God has not left the room. He's not left your life. He hasn't gone on break. He hasn't gone to sleep. God is still with you, even in those difficult moments, and maybe especially in those difficult moments. I think about Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, he told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Doesn't say nothing bad will happen to you, Joshua. Doesn't say that every time someone tries to sin against you, I'm going to jump in and stop them so they won't have the, the real freedom of choice to do that. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say every time the, the world is spinning and bad things are just going to happen by the randomness of the, the laws of nature and all those sorts of things. I'll jump in and stop it. Doesn't say that. But he says, wherever you go, Joshua, I will be with you. That's a great promise. It's one I hope we hold on to. That even in the difficult times, God is still there. James 5, verse 11, he says, We count those blessed who endured. You're blessed if you endure 
even those difficult things. You stay with God even through those difficult things. And James, the brother of Jesus, doesn't go to, to uh, Joseph, but he does go to Job. He says, you've heard of the endurance of Job, and you've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You see the outcome. You see that God hadn't forgotten Job. Boy, there had to be a lot of questions along the way, and there sure were. Job teeter-tottered on disrespect if he wasn't careful. He was so bitter and frustrated at life. He says, but you've seen the outcome. You stay with God, and you'll see His goodness. You'll see His mercy. And that brings us to our last thing. Like Joseph, let's refuse to give up on God. Let's hold on to those promises of God. I know there's a lot of things to be frustrated at in the world. Um, maybe in your own life, but certainly in the world. There's a lot of things to be frustrated at. The guy in the book, we're using Swindoll's book, he, he made a point. He said, I don't know if he's right about this or not, but he said, I, he said, I've never known anybody who's let bitterness toward people and hatred toward people become who they are that hasn't turned that bitterness and hatred toward God. I don't know if he's right about that, but that was his experience. That if we're not careful, a frustration toward life and a frustration toward people begins to turn itself toward God. The Hebrew writer also talks about the roots of bitterness that we need to watch out for. In fact, the whole context is about difficult times and how God can build training in us even in difficult times. He says, so we need to be helping each other. We need to be be picking up the, the knees and the hands that are weak and help hold them up. He says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Don't let the bitterness of life build a root in your heart. Because you know what roots produce? They produce plants, and those plants grow. You let bitterness get in there and stay there, it grows. Hard to get out. Some people spend their entire later years consumed by the bitterness of things that didn't go the way they wanted to, Joseph found a way to rise above all that. To say, I'm staying with God. And what we're going to see next Sunday night, because perhaps God knew He would stay with him, and He knew He would continue in kindness and continue in faithfulness, God's going to do some great things through Joseph. And His faithfulness is going to be rewarded. And it's fun to watch. Tonight, if you want to renew your faithfulness to God, what a great time to do it. What a great time when God's people are gathered together in worship. We would love to pray for you tonight. If you feel like your faithfulness hasn't been what you want it to be, what you think God wants it to be, let us pray for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never become a Christian. Like James 5 just said, I think you will see the outcome of the Lord's dealings. He's always good. He's always merciful. He's always compassionate. Come receive God's mercy. We need it, number one, we're sinners. And then I think we'll find the goodness of it. It gives a life and a, a blessing and a hope that you're not going to find anywhere else in the world. If you're here tonight ready to become a Christian, why not confess your faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and be baptized in His name for the forgiveness of those sins? We'd love to see you become a Christian tonight if you're ready for that. If we can help you in any way, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing.